Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of It's a Fandom Thing. This week, we're going to be discussing the Me Too movement and how it has impacted fandom, or things that we consume we are fans of and how it has impacted us and how we consume media how we approach things that we love uh, people that we love um, as far as like watching their work uh, after maybe they have been part of me too and I just want to say up front this will probably be very triggering for some people because we will be talking of course about sexual assault allegations sexual harassment uh, possibly discussing rape, um, so other things that could be very triggering for people. So I just want to put that up front. So if any of that is triggering for you, I would suggest possibly just skipping this episode uh, just to kind of just be on the safe side. Um, but before we go around the room and have everybody introduce themselves, just again, another quick little housekeeping note that we are taking listener support now for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. You can click on the link in the show notes or go to our anchor page and click listener support. Support, And as always, all 100% of what we see from that and from the one ad we have will be go through now, sorry, through October 1st, we'll be going to various Black Lives Matter organizations. And on October 1st, I am going to do a Facebook Live video just showing how much money we did receive and letting everybody know what uh, Black Lives Matter organizations that'll be going to just so that it's completely 100% transparent. And after that, uh, a portion of whatever we receive, more information on that to come later, later will still be going to various uh, Black Lives Matter organizations. Okay, so let's go around the room and have everybody introduce themselves and tell me one thing in pop culture that you're excited about right now. Start with you, Danelle. Hi, I'm Danelle Beauvais, and um, thanks, Erin, for having me on. I'm excited to be here with you tonight. Um, let's see, what am I excited about in pop culture right now? That's a good question. Um, hmm. I am re-watching Outlander after um, the Outlander episode, oh, wow. so I'm having fun with that right now. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, and I still haven't watched a single other episode of it. I know, I know, I know. Oh, bad. All right. I know, especially since you guys said it gets really dark, so. It gets dark fast. Yeah, so that makes and Eli. Hello, Eli Bazan, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, co-founder of the Parasol Patrol. Uh, we've been so busy with moving and everything. I am catching up on the new Winona. So uh, I'm an episode behind, but I'm, I'm, there's so much going on, so much to watch. But yeah, I'm catching up on Winona right now. <clears throat> and Pasha. Um. Can I say something that I'm not, I'm, it's exciting, but not necessarily in a good way for me, um, which is the QAnon phenomenon. We have had so much stuff going on with QAnon and those crazy conspiracy theories and how they affect, you know, big hearted, compassionate people and dupe them into believing this 
their their core belief is that there's this cabal talk about me too kind of this that of satanists made up of politicians you know biden of course and and hillary and uh and uh hollywood elite the one of the ones i that cracks me up kind of sort of is um tom hanks is apparently a um, <laughs> i know a, a satan worshiping high priest that runs a and they're all pedophiles and so it's a kitty pedophile ring so uh essentially it's jewish people um gay people um hollywood elite and politicians running this sex trafficking ring of children and so it's been a little frustrating. <laughs> it's kind of taken up a lot of my time lately uh, because I have an anti-human trafficking nonprofit and having to put out these fires of these good friends of mine saying, hey, have you heard about this great thing called Save Our Children? And I'm like, no, it's not great. It's run by QAnon and, and explain to them what it is. So, yeah, what a mess. So that's what I've been um, involved with pop culture wise lately. It's really sad because, you know, it's it's taking away from the actual need of trying to save anyone who needs to be saved, you know. And it's, I mean, and some of the things that they think are crazy, like they literally, some people who follow that think that Hillary Clinton and other people are eating children's brains, babies' brains to stay younger longer. And what? it's just, yeah, and I remember driving here in Colorado down 225 in Aurora and there was one of the save our children hashtags and someone ended up taking it over and just putting love and just taking out the rest and just leaving love, which was good to see. Cause it was scary to just see that it's, it's a very, yeah, it's very scary and it's sad just because it is taking away from so many other, and it's considered a terrorist organization, you know, I mean, it's a terrorist threat is what it is. I mean, so yeah, that's, it's pretty terrifying. Yeah, actually, Eli and I, two days ago, we rolled out of bed and we took down one of the Save Our Children signs over <laughs> I-25. And so I live streamed it. And so, yeah, I've been getting oh, a lot of cool. harassment from people saying that I'm a pedophile. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, my good. God. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> anyway, back to the Me Too movie. <laughs> well, cheerful. yeah. Well, and <laughs> actually, the thing that I'm into plays into the Me Too movement. Um, I have been watching, I don't know if anyone else is watching this docu-series on HBO Max called The Vow. And it is all about the cult Nexium, which is an organization and a sex cult. Um, They made headlines, especially because Allison Mack, who was on um, Smallville, was very is very much involved in it. And they're being charged with sex trafficking and racketeering conspiracy. And the other thing about it, you know, is and it's a slow build. It could it it will probably get more triggering as it goes along. There's only been a few a couple of episodes so far. Um, but the thing about it is you watch it and a lot of the things this that they said in it and that they did in that were, so, were supposed to be self-empowering and making yourself feel better and growing and growth. And it's a lot of talk that you will hear in a lot of self-improvement groups and a lot of multi-level marketing groups, which is a lot of what this is. And it is it does also, to me, have a little bit of a feel of Scientology in a way of how you go up the ranks and you pay more and you learn more and you go up the ranks. But it's it's a very, very good documentary, and it's very terrifying. And it's also one of those things where I think a lot of times people go, there's no way I would ever fall for this, ever. 
And watching these stories, people tell their stories, you really see how easy it would be to fall for it if you were in a vulnerable state, if you were looking for answers. And so many people are looking for that answer. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very fascinating documentary that I, I highly, highly recommend. So once again, that's on HBO Max. I started watching right. that as well, and it is really powerful. Yeah. I heard about it um, as far as the, what was going on with Nexium um, probably a year ago, I think, when it started breaking. And then I just stumbled across it like two days ago and started watching the first couple episodes. And it is it's crazy. And I thought the same thing. Who are these idiot women who got involved in this? You know, like, and then I'm like, whoa, when I heard them talking and I heard the leader, um, I was like, yeah, this is all the kind of self stuff that the work that I wanted to be interested, you know, that I was interested in. It's about helping, supposedly helping the world. And they think they're doing all this good. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's intense. It is. Yeah. And, and cults, of, cults have always fascinated me. Um, and I remember once even being in high school, I went to an alternative high school in Boulder and it was during our lunch break and we had like this outdoor area. I mean, they even had like smoking areas at this school. That's the kind of school it was. Um, but anyway, we were out there. Yeah, I know. I know. And, um, and uh, a, a cult, I know they were from a cult. They didn't say that, of course, came and started talking to people out there. And I spent like 20 minutes talking to them. And I think they really thought I was going to come and join them. But I just found it fascinating but what you could really see was how void the eyes were um and it was really sad of these young women so yeah so and mm-hmm. okay well let's get into the heavy topic of me too um and i want to of course i think it's very important with me too to give credit where credit is due as far as how this started because it actually initially started in 2006 on MySpace by sexual harassment survivor and activist Tarana Burke. Um, mm. Cause I think a lot of times people don't realize that, or she gets overshadowed mm-hmm. by people like That's, Alyssa Milano. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying, I mean, I have issues with her, but I'm not saying anything against them coming out, but I think, you know, it's another thing if, you know, this was a black woman who started it. Mm-hmm. So she yeah. deserves credit for it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was definitely created to empower women through empathy and solidarity, through strength and numbers, especially young and vulnerable women, by visibly demonstrating how many women have survived sexual assault, assault and harassment, especially um, in the workplace. And, of course, it got the most exposure back in 2017 when sexual abuse allegations started coming out toward Harvey Weinstein. So I think that's when most, the majority of the world sort of took notice of it. And it it turned into also the time out movement. um, And it still goes on. It's of course gotten backlash because, you know, no surprise there. Um, But you had a lot of people coming forward, a lot of celebrities, um, a lot of people just coming forward, telling their story. And It seemed at that time, every day, there would be a new person that would be trending. And every time you'd see a name trending, 99% of the time, it was because of that. You know, um, you had Matt Lauer, of course. Um, You had Charlie Rose. Um, You eventually had Brian Singer, who I'm going to get into a lot of that on this one because of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, But you had, you know, and then, of course, you had Kevin Spacey and a lot of people being taken down. And that was the thing is you also had men coming forward um, with Kevin Spacey and with Brian Singer. 
um, talking about the abuse they endured to, to, to and of course, Terry Crews. Um, and so, you know, it was, it became this huge, huge thing. And I think it kind of started changing the way a little bit that people would look at media and look at celebrity and look at who they looked up to and their fandoms. So I want to go around and just see if there is one in particular that really stands out to you or how it affected the way you viewed certain people. Um, yeah. And, and then we'll talk about if we should still consume that media produced by them. Danelle. Mm, um, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, that's, for me, I think Weinstein and what would happen with him was huge because being such a fan of film um, and knowing that name and finding out that he'd been operating for decades um, with these allegations and, and with all the things that he did um, was was just gut punching. You know, it was just it was absolutely heart wrenching to to see all the people that he harmed. Um, also, I think it's ironic, um, that Corey Feldman had been saying for years what happened to him and Corey Haim, um, and they were, he was shunned, he was made fun of, and I know that his personality is such that he's is out there, and, you know, a lot of people have a, have trouble with the way he conducts himself, um, and the way he went about things, but that shouldn't matter, I mean, they should be listening to what he has to say. Um, and I think now people are taking him a little more seriously, I hope, um, you know, because it, it ended with somebody dying. I mean, Corey Haim died because of the abuse that he suffered and never got help for and was not believed. Um, so I think those are those are stories that, that impacted me. Um, there's so many. I mean, um, one of my favorite authors, uh, Sherman Alexei in, in the Native American community who wrote Smoke Signals. Um, which is one of my all-time favorite films, um, had some serious allegations against him. And not just, I'm having, I still struggle with like how to, you know, balance my love of his work with those allegations and what he is accused of. So. This is the first time I'm hearing this, honestly, about smoke signals, mm -hmm. because I hadn't heard that. I hadn't heard about the allegations against him. And I, that movie is, I, I just love that movie. So yeah, I hadn't heard that. That's that makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even going back to like um, J.K. Rowling, even though it and to me, it does contain with the Me Too movement, her ignorant comments towards the transgender community affects the way people see transgender people. It incites violence towards transgender people um, because it misrepresents them. Um, and that bothers me, you know, and being a huge Harry Potter fan. Um, I'm still waiting on my letter, the Hogwarts, dang it. Um, anyway, um, you know, just being the huge fan that I am of her books, it, it just bothered me so much. She has such an amazing story um, of how she overcame so much and wrote this incredible book and, and created this world. And all these wonderful things that she's done over the years as far as charity and things. And then she has to go and <laughs> mm -hmm. it's just, it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, and it's frustrating. And you know, Rose McGowan can also be accused of that stuff too, because she's such a big, a big, big figure in this, because of what happened to her with Harvey Weinstein and how she has, you know, 
become powerful in this movement and become like kind of the face of it. But she also has had those issues too of, of including other people within the movement as far as like, and I know in the trans community, I think that's, that's been a big, a big issue. I believe there was one time where someone, it was at one, a book signing of hers or something where someone brought it up to her and she was very dismissive. So, yeah, so it's, yeah, that's, that's another thing that I was, I was going to touch on later is just, including everybody in this so yeah um and eli um i think kevin spacey um one just what he was being accused of but two how he addressed it and tried to just say it's okay i'm gay that that's why i did it um that was a huge a huge thing for me and i was a huge huge kevin spacey fan i loved his work um, and he, he, he's one of the people that I, I, I truly have a hard time separating that with now. Um, I, I just can't see past that anymore. Um, and there's some great movies that I would love to rewatch and I've not rewatched them because he's in them. Um, and it, it like I said, it, it, it wasn't just what he did. Um, it was the way that he came out and, and said why he did it. And to me, that was the biggest cop out and the biggest insult. Um, that he possibly could have done. Yeah. And then doing all those weird YouTube videos afterward and all that stuff. It's just, it's basically like a slap in the face to his victims. And yeah. Yeah. And Pasha. Um, for me, (laughs) I, I, I have always been a huge fan of Joss Whedon stuff. And I always loved that he was so progressive about having these amazing uh, leading ladies that were empowered and intelligent and physically strong, as long as they were young and thin and white, of course. But I mean, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> um, but but that you know, I, I actually at one point in time wondered, you know, does he have a type that you know maybe he's kind of maybe this isn't all just about, um, you know propping up women and, and, and being, and he has spouse so many amazing feminist, um, you know, the, all the quotes and all the stuff. And then of course, when he was going through his divorce a few years ago, a whole bunch of other stuff came to light, uh, including his misogyny. He fired one of the cast members for being pregnant. He had tons and tons of affairs with younger women that worked for him that he had a you know they said it was consensual but they were like very young and he was their boss and um we they did have a few say that well you know I kind of felt pressured but but it's mostly been brushed under the rug and he's such a talented writer and and just we were talking earlier about the way he writes dialogue and it's so pithy and clever and and um and and so to find out that this person who we thought in the especially in the sci-fi type community or you know whatever that was such this amazing feminist um was exactly the opposite was really heartbreaking and and I still love Firefly but yeah it's frustrating yeah I really felt that because I'm a huge Buffy fan so it's very yeah yeah it's we talked about that a little bit on the Buffy episode um because yeah that's that was a hard one because to me Buffy is such there's issues with it but it's still such a feminist show 
and to realize the person behind it is the exact opposite of that is mm-hmm. very hard to swallow. It's very painful. Um, for me, and this really not necessarily was the biggest one, but it had a personal impact on me because, and I recently shared on Facebook, the movie Into the Wild is one of my personal favorite movies. Um, it was a very emotionally cathartic experience for me. Um, I cried for hours and hours after that movie was over. And, you know, Sean Penn is not the greatest person in the world. Um, he is, has been known to be violent. Um, and so he's just not a very, very nice person. But then the star of that, Emil Hirsch, a few years ago at Sundance, he choked a woman, like literally choked her. He was arrested, all this stuff. And I loved Emil Hirsch and I loved him in that movie. And that one's hard for me because it's two horrible people making this piece of art that means so much to me personally. Um, that that one was really, really hard for me. I think it was harder for me once I found out about Emile Hirsch than just the Sean Penn thing, because I had always kind of been like, Sean Penn, he just strikes you as someone who is kind of an ass, <laughs> to be <laughs> frank. I mean, he just he just kind of does. Um, so that one, that one did. Um, I think for a lot of people growing up, as children in the 80s, if you grew up in the 80s, the Cosby show was a huge thing. So Cosby, of course, was a huge blow um, finding out how and the awful stuff that he did and the fact that certain people still stood by him, uh, like Felicia Rashad for a while there really did. I don't know if she still does, but she was really sticking by him. That was really painful because, I mean, if you've got that those many people accusing you. I mean, I, I believe them all. So it's just, it's just really, that one was really, really earth shattering. Supporters, right. R. R Kelly still has tons. Yeah. R. Kelly is the other big one. Yeah. And that was a, oh my gosh. Did you watch that documentary? Yes. Eli and I were just talking earlier about a tough one for both of us was Michael Jackson. I watched the documentary Mm -hmm. and I cannot listen to his music anymore. I, the lyrics, sometimes I'm all like, oh my God. And it just is so cringe. I just like, ugh, and my heart breaks for those boys. Eli has not seen the documentary. And I'm still being an ostrich, an ostrich with my head in the sand, pretending that the documentary doesn't exist because I have so many deep childhood memories mm-hmm. um, that go with Michael Jackson. And that's one that I just, I mean, it's hard. That's the hard one for me because I, I, I believe in users. I believe in users, and there, there are just too many similarities to be ignored. But this was my music as a kid. I mean, this is what I grew up to. This is what kept me alive. I mean, a, a lot of his songs really hold meaning to me. So, um, yeah, I, I still have my head buried in the sand on that one. I, I'll admit it. In the interest of full disclosure, I was a punk. I was a punk rock girl. So I was never really into Michael Jackson's music in the first. Just just letting you know that. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, but but a lot of people, the Michael Jackson one is really interesting one to talk about because as far as fandom goes, because you will see the amount of support for him on Twitter. If you go on Twitter and any response to that documentary, um, they're like, this is all lies. And they'll have document after document that they try to show you to prove that. Uh, these men who came forward that they are making this up to get money, to get fame, that they've been trying this for years, that, you know, they never got enough money. They wanted to get more money from Michael Jackson and they're trying to get more attention now and there. So that's a really interesting one to look at because a lot of people, I would say I see more people coming out in defense of Michael Jackson than not as far as, in the fandom world. So that one's a really, really interesting one. And I think that re- really goes to looking at somebody that you idolize, um, that you look up to, and having them disappoint you in that way, but not wanting to really see it um, and not wanting to acknowledge that it's real. And, and you know, I, I, I understand that. That's a, it's a hard thing when it's someone who creates so much stuff that you love. You know, I can think of a few people that if it ever came out that they did anything would be even more crushing than other ones um, that have come out, you know, you know. And I, and I want to say with the Kevin Spacey one, what's interesting about Kevin Spacey is I loved Kevin Spacey and then I didn't like him. He became creepy to me. Like I always found him creepy for some reason. There was some underlying thing. And I'm not saying like I knew, but um, so that one was easier to take now. If that had happened right after Usual Suspects, which – that one has a couple because Kevin Spacey and then, of course, Brian Singer. If that had happened around that time and seven, then I probably would have had a harder time with it than it coming out now. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I want to talk a little bit about that, about fandom's reaction to things, because like I said, with Michael Jackson, it seems to be everybody, mo- the majority seems to be, and I could be totally wrong, on Michael Jackson's side when it comes to that. Um, and, but I know that's not always true, because we have something that some people put down. I know this was going to be further on in the podcast, but I want to talk about it now, um, of cancel culture. Uh, and canceling someone the second something comes forward on them. Um, I know there were a lot of people that got upset with the whole Johnny Depp situation. Um, And so now it seems like a lot of people when um, Jeremy Renner, who this is another one, Jeremy Renner, uh, just really quickly, was my, one of my absolute favorite actors in my top three actors was Jeremy Renner. And this was because of her locker and Dahmer and stuff like that. I was actually kind of disappointed when he started doing a lot of the superhero things. No events. I just wanted him to do more of those smaller things. But, you know, it's he has been accused of being very abusive towards his ex, um, the mother of his child. And I know a lot of people don't want to talk about that because they say there's not enough evidence there's no evidence and we shouldn't jump to conclusions on him and everybody brings up the Johnny Depp situation which if you don't know the Johnny Depp situation Amber Heard accused him of being abusive and then he came out with evidence that she was abusive towards him and supposedly people say Johnny Depp's career was ruined I totally disagree with that I don't see how it was 
personally, I don't think it was affected at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he had some people turn away from him, but he still was able to make movies. So, um, yeah. But anyway, but how do you guys feel about that? The whole cancel culture and maybe even just the whole situation of ever since Johnny Depp, at least to me, it seems like a lot of people are like a little bit more hesitant to sort of jump mm-hmm. on the bandwagon with things. Um, Danelle, how do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, the Johnny Depp story is is a really um, fascinating one because I think, um, you know, with Me Too being so prominent at the time that that was coming out, um, I wanted, I was shocked, but I believed Amber, right? Like, I believed the story and I went with it because, you know, my gut reaction is you got to believe the person when they're telling you their story, you know, like that's, that's what we have to do. And so it's really damaging when somebody lies like that, um, when somebody doesn't tell the truth. And, and I, that, to me, it's, it hurts the movement. Um, it hurts people trying to come forward and tell their stories. Um, but it also sheds a light on the fact that men are in abusive situations, too. And I think that's important not to forget, too, that men have their stories as well. Um, primarily, obviously, this is going to focus on, on women um, because... Well, I mean, I don't even know the statistics, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there. It's probably the 90-something percent um, are, are going to be women um, that are the victims. But, I mean, men are too. And, and I think it kind of sheds a light that I think we need to, um, you know, that the truth, you have to look at all the evidence and you have to look at all the, the what's presented. We can't jump to conclusions. But in the case of somebody like Harvey Weinstein, cancel culture was so overdue i mean i'm so grateful he just put that man away you know same with cosby i mean he got away with it for way too long um which Mm -hmm. is heartbreaking i love that was one of my all-time favorite shows growing up i mean who didn't view him as that kind of second dad in your household you know coming home and watching the cosby's um you know it it so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good thing, but it also can be hurtful. So I, I, I don't know. I think maybe a little more caution around stories and, and really getting to the to the truth. Um, but how do you do that? That's the question, right? How do we, how do you really truly get to the core truth? So, And that's the thing. And what I've said before to people is in these situations, you aren't going to have that hard evidence that everybody seems to think is going to be there. The smoking gun, you know, you're not going to have necessarily, um, you know, like a video of it. You're not going to have necessarily pictures and, um, and hard evidence right when it happens. And that's why in these situations, it's harder to be like, well, I'm not going to believe it until I have a hundred percent proof because in most of these situations, you're not going to get that proof that you're necessarily looking for or the proof that's going to satisfy you. Uh, and, and I think that's what happens a lot of times with these is people are like, well, I'm going to wait till more evidence comes forward. But I find a lot of times that happens when it's a person accused that you happen to love. Um, and, and, and I don't know, I mean, you know, I don't know for sure if the accusations against Jeremy Renner are accurate or not, but I have to tell you, you know, I, you could ask anybody, I, I don't, didn't know a bigger fan of Jeremy Renner than me. I was the biggest fan of his And I tend to sort of believe this. There were court records before that. And he, to me, watching him lately, he had changed his whole album that he released. It was so weird. And 
Yeah, it was just like, it wasn't the same kind of vibe that I had gotten from him before. So I tended to, so I tend to believe that until I'm proven otherwise. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't be that way all the time. But I think the Amber Herds are the rarity. That's like the point zero zero one. because who wants to make this up? Your life is like in shambles. Look at what happens to any woman or man or Mm -hmm. trans or anyone who comes forward with this, their life can be ruined and is often ruined. So to me, it's like, why would you want to make this up? That's the way I kind of view. And the other person I want to mention really quickly that uh, had a fan thing happen was Ansel Elgort who recently got accused of um, having sex, well, basically rape, but uh, with an underage fan. I don't know if you guys heard that story as well. And he happened to have been in Baby Driver, which also starred Kevin Spacey. So, yeah, so there's there's another one. Um, Eli, do you have anything you want to add about the, about Uh, step or accusations or believing or cancel culture? Cancel culture is tough. Um, we all want to believe everybody that we hear, um, but there's always going to be that 1% that wanting their little five seconds of fame or wanting to just bring out blatant lies. Those are always going to be there. And I, I think that it was a great point made that it does a huge disservice to the movement. Um, when these people come out and then they are proven wrong, then that gives everybody else a, see, I told you, they're all just making it up. And it all it takes is one case and it gets blown up by everybody, and then it goes its way out. So I think that it's it's imperative that we believe everybody and believe them, not until we find facts that support them, but it it just, I mean, like I yeah. said, I, I, I just think it's extremely rare for people to come out and do that. And some do want their little fame, and some want um, to, to, to try to break somebody down. But I'm on the side of, of believing uh, anybody who has a story until it's, you know, obviously proven false that I'm, um, and I, I think that's where, where cancer culture gets a bit tough is that, um, especially before Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, um, people were getting canceled left and right because of something that somebody said they said 25 years ago. Um, it, it started to get a little bit, a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um, and now I think it's kind of balanced back out where, where people are, are listening and understanding um, and not saying, well, you have to prove me wrong, prove me this didn't happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Pasha. I think that there are a couple different cases of cancel culture, and I don't think cancel culture is necessarily a bad thing. I think that mm-hmm. if people leave a fandom, leave someone who is guilty of these things uh, in the dust, great, Roseanne Barr, done, mm-hmm. gone. You know, but I mean, there are some that have survived it. That's been kind of weird to me. James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy um, lost his job and then was reinstated. And he he it wasn't when you joke around with like super close friends and say some things that are inappropriate or things you wouldn't say about other people. And these are people like a handful of people that like know you really, really well. That's one thing. But people tweet the most stupid things and he wrote things ah he wrote um uh things like one of his tweets i'm just reading it here because i have it here i like when little boys touch me in my silly place and he wrote another one that said the best thing about being raped is when you're done being raped it's like 
whew, this feels great not being raped. Mm-hmm. And he was, and this was not like when he was a kid, this was before he started directing big films like guardians of the galaxy, but it wasn't like eons ago. It wasn't when he was a teenager. Uh, and so Disney fired him. And then there was this outcry. Oh, it was a long time ago. He's not like that in real life. He was just joking around. And so they rehired him. And I have mixed feelings about that. He's obviously very talented and um, the cast, you know, I mean, some of the cast, um, you know, they're kind of conservative leaning. And I was like, okay, I'm not surprised that he supports him. But then, but then Batista supports him. And I'm like, huh, well, that's, uh, that's, I don't know. Maybe we don't know the whole story, but I would, that one surprised me. Um, another one, speaking of fandom that really surprised me was Chris Hardwick, who is the nerdist. And he was accused a few years ago. And so his, his show was suspended for a little while. Uh, Talking Dead and all that was, all those were suspended for a brief period. And then, and then they let him come back and a female co-producer and quite a few staffers left the show because uh, I'm not going to expound on that too much because I don't know the details about what exactly happened. But the fact that people left the show, you know, that's, that's, that's a thing. That's definitely a thing. But the flip side of that coin, in my opinion, is Al Franken. He, you know, the picture that was taken of him his his the comedian that was the female comedian that was traveling with them uh on tour and she was asleep and he didn't actually touch her but somebody took a picture of him jokingly like holding his hands up like he was gonna grab her boobs or something like that and he and he stepped down he fell on that sword and to me that was that one was to me was hard because i'm am a huge supporter of his and uh all the way from SNL to through his political career. And I don't know, I still have trouble thinking that one was justified, but for the most part, I think cancel culture knife's edge does work. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's, you know, and people talk about cancel culture, like it's a new thing. It's, it's, it's really kind of not, but be that as it may, it works like with Roseanne Barr, uh, and sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think with the James Gunn thing, a big thing there is he's a white male. I honestly think that's part of why, it, you know, I mean, everybody I know was pretty much everybody I know there with a few exceptions was enraged that he got fired for that. So, you know, and I know some of those people are going to be listening to this episode, but so I think that one was one where it was a case of this is a rich white man who seems like he's nice and he's created this great entertainment. And, you know, I have mixed feelings on it myself. Um, I think what he did was horrible and I understand getting fired for it, you know, Um, but at the same time, I can kind of see, you know, it's like okay, I I don't, you know, I, I haven't heard of anyone coming forward saying he did anything. Right. Um, that doesn't mean he didn't, you know, we don't know, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's a, that's a very, that's a very hard one. And you know, what's also interesting is there's other people that get accused of stuff and then people forget about it. Like um, 
for instance, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman yep. was accused, and that yep. was like a story for like 10 minutes, and then everybody forgot about it, which is kind of surprising, honestly. Um, but yeah, that was so now, well documented. So yeah, 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 I was surprised that that one kind of dissipated as well. But then again, he yeah. is God. So. And I think that's what it is, is people hold him in such a high, high regard, and they didn't view it as severe as, say, Cosby, so he, you know, or Harvey Weinstein, so it was kind of like, okay, um, yeah, that one was really interesting to me, um, there is, of course, you know, there's, there's so many people that have done so many things that for like a few minutes they're canceled and then they get to come back. That's what's so interesting to me about this cancel culture thing is I don't think it's really real, honestly, because I think mm -hmm. for the majority of people with Deeks, you know, Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby are the exception, honestly, because most people in this still get to go on and have a career. I mean, you look at Brian Singer, who is a disgusting, mm -hmm. despicable human being yeah. who, I mean, and the stuff he even did on the set of his movie apt pupil. If you read the stories about that, just go read any article about him. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. And yeah, he got fired on Bohemian Rhapsody, but he still got the director's credit. He still, which they ended up canceling this movie, but he's still, because that movie made so much money, he got offered another movie and, one of the people was basically quoted as basically saying, well, I don't, he made all this money. There's no, you know, we don't know for sure if any of this stuff happened, blah, blah, blah. We just want to make money kind of thing. They finally, I think, withdrew it. But I mean, that movie got nominated for a bunch of awards, won awards. It's, and that to me was really hard to swallow that year because, I'm ashamed I saw the movie, to be honest. I shouldn't, I feel like I shouldn't have seen the movie. I shouldn't have given them any kind of money. Plus, I don't think it's a very good movie anyway. <laughs> it's a very PG version of Freddie Mercury's life. Um, and I don't mm -hmm. think it does a good job. Uh, and, you know, but the fact that he was getting, that the film was getting rewarded, which in turn, in a lot of ways, meant Brian Singer was getting rewarded. I don't care that he got fired. His name is, you know, the director that took over, his name is not in the credits. So it still is a Brian Singer film. That to me is kind of like saying to the victims, we don't care about your pain and to other victims as well. That's the way I viewed that whole situation. If that had happened, it got all these awards and then years later you found out about Brian Singer, like with Usual Suspects. Say Usual Suspects had gotten a ton of awards and then later you find out about Brian Singer and of course Kevin Spacey. That doesn't mean that those awards were necessarily wrong because people didn't know at that time. Although, you know, it, it could be said that people did know about Brian Singer, but People in the public eye didn't know at that time. But doing it now when it's known and when it was such a big story, you know, I even saw people tweet about it basically saying all these awards is a giant middle finger to these victims. And no offense to Rami Malek, Malik, but yeah. I wish he had acknowledged that more during his whole thing. And it just it just really, really, really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, that one rubbed me the wrong way more than a lot of the others have um just because i think it was i just you know glad pulled um the award they were going to give it and you know i just i just um, that just yeah. me. i don't know if anybody else agrees with that and, but. <laughs> and i'm a huge rami malik fan huge and and i too was a little disappointed by his silence 
But I mean, you come to find out with Harvey Weinstein, all these huge superstars, uh, Ben Affleck, who were not just privy, but I mean, like really, really new. And the only and other women were even trying to say something. But the only man I could see uh, that said something uh, publicly was, oh, shoot, I can't believe I'm brain farting on his name. The um, trying to remember too. family guy. Uh, he did he, Seth MacFarlane. Oh, yeah. yeah. Seth MacFarlane did call him out like when he hosted the Academy yeah. Award. Mm-hmm. He said something very, he's like, yeah, no young women have to, you know, and yeah. with Harvey Weinstein. And, and of course, he was not invited back to host the awards again, <laughs> um, which, you know, could have been just because he wasn't great at it. But be that as it may, um, <laughs> The one thing I do think that's positive about the Me Too movement is that now these people know that they can be called out. And because some significant people, their careers have 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 failed at least in some way, hopefully that will prevent some at least some of it from going on. Does that make sense? If they know that they can get caught and at least publicly outed and humiliated hopefully that will curb some of it but I don't but yeah yeah it's hard going on in entertainment for so long I mean Mm -hmm. so so long and I think even pre-Hollywood right you know and and back in and just theater and things like that at these kind of um, positions where men were taking advantage of etc um, has been going on forever and I think it's just this culture that's a part mm-hmm. of I mean and being a, th- a student of theater and working in film and, and tv myself um, on a local level and in college I saw it you know um, I was a part of a um, theater troupe and we got interest from Hollywood when I was 17 and um, the script was getting a lot of um, interest because he had written the play. Our director had written the play and written a film script as well. And it was similar to Ghost. Um, if you remember Ghost and you know how Hollywood likes to make a, a bunch of films that are similar, you know, when they have a hit. Um, and so there were some, there were some similarities. And so these guys came out to meet with him and meet the cast. And I had a lovely little casting couch experience, you know, talking to one of these guys. And it was interesting. I was only 17 and um, it was creepy, Um, you know, and it's just this culture. It's the culture. And I think the Me Too movement is helping shed some light on that. I think there's still a long way to go um, Mm -hmm. in how things are handled. Um, in Hollywood and in the in theater and in, in the entertainment industry in general, music. Oh my God, we could do a, you could do a whole podcast on music and Me Too and on all of the, especially in the hard rock and metal scene. I mean, it, it goes hand in hand. Um, so, absolutely, I think it's really important to um, you know just keep shedding a light on these things and and moving forward and hopefully. Um, changing that culture so that young women and young men who are and kids who are going into this industry who want to be a part of the entertainment industry don't have to become victims of these predators you know who who tend to thrive in the industry 
Yeah, and when we um, we're going to go around it at one point, and thank you for sharing just a little bit of your own story there. But we will then go around and see if everybody wants to share their story because I have my own story from when I was in film school and when I was acting and my own experience on a set. And the harder part was what happened afterwards when I came forward. That was even harder than what happened. So. Yeah, it's it's and the reaction and a lot of that is because it is instilled. I mean, you look at, um, well, Roman Polanski, aside from the fact that he's mm-hmm. a rapist and people still support him and love him. Same yeah. thing with like Woody Allen. Um, you know, he famously in um, Chinatown, when he wanted to get Faye Dunaway to get more emotional in the scene where um, Jack Nicholson's character slaps her. Roman Polanski slapped Faye Dunaway like over and over again until he got that emotion from her, which is abusive. You don't do that. That is completely Mm -hmm. and totally abusive. I don't care that it was an acting situation. He wanted more emotion. There's other ways to do that. And she excused it and said it was okay because, I mean, what is she going to say? No, that what I mean, in that time, she would have not been able to get away with standing up to Roman Polanski, you know, that's the thing is it's very hard to be able to come forward. And that's the beauty of me too. Even though I think at times, you know, it's like for like five minutes, it happens like, you know, Casey Affleck still won an Academy award and he was already accused at that point. You know, um, you have James Franco who has Mm -hmm. been accused by a lot of acting students that have taken his acting class because he does, He does classes in doing sex scenes and the way he handles it is not okay, but he still gets to be in a show called the deuce, which is about um, pornography in the seventies and the Mm -hmm. deuce, you know, they've come forward and said they're, they're so great because of the way they handle the sex scenes and how they have um, an intimacy coordinator on the set, which is a new thing that they're trying to do in Hollywood. But yet you still have somebody on that set in that show that has been accused of horrible things. So it's this weird balancing act of like, you know, are 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 these people that are speaking out going to speak out against him? You know, I know that Maggie Gyllenhaal has been asked about that a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. And and one of the worst ones I can think of was the Bernardo Bertolucci one with last tango in Paris with Marlon Brando and that stick of butter. I mean, that's, that is not just an, that was a a real literal real rape scene Mm -hmm. there. I mean, that's what that is. And it just, and Marlon Brando is still, of course, uh, idolized as one of the finest actors ever yet. He, he didn't say no to doing that to her. And so it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's certainly nothing new. Um, I just hope that now that people know, like I said, that they can be outed, that they, it curbs it at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's all. Yeah. And Eli, did you have anything else you wanted to add about about that no that's that's you guys covered it (laughs) 
Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we'll talk about if there's any other ones we want to mention. I want to talk a little bit about how when black women come forward, how that's treated differently than when white women do. Um, and, I, you know, because I think there is a big difference there. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And then if people want to share, uh, we can share our own Me Too stories. So we'll be right back. Um, so I want to talk a little bit, uh, of course, Me Too was started by a black woman, Tarana Burke. I want to say that again because, you know, I think it gets lost so much in the shuffle. But I want to talk a little bit about black women um, and it, it within this movement because I want to specifically focus on Russell Simmons. Um, and, of course, um, we already talk mainly about Russell Simmons and R. Kelly because there was also a documentary which I don't know if anybody else watched it on HBO Max if you haven't watched it go ahead and watch it called On the Record all about Russell Simmons and um, you know and how black women talked a lot about in in that talked about how hard it is to come forward as a black woman when you're especially when you're accusing another black man because of the history of you know how white women would falsely accuse black men who would get lynched and and that whole history there and also how we the last people on the totem pole that we seem to want to look at and take care of are black women honestly and in this movement as well i mean you see it just with toronto burke getting shoved aside all the time oh yeah um yeah so i want to just focus a little bit on that um danelle what are your thoughts on that yeah, no, I think it's um, it's huge. And I think the fact that when Toronto started the movement, that it didn't get a lot of attention. And it was only until white women came forward and, and um, you know, then it got attention. And then we had to back up and say, hey, <laughs> this is the person who really started it um, and who's been saying these things for a while now. Um, and I, it is heartbreaking that it's harder for women of color to come forward. Um, and I, I definitely want to, we, we're forgetting a, a very important group here that I want to, uh, I definitely have to talk about because it's a cause near and dear to my heart. And that is the murdered and missing indigenous women. There are thousands of indigenous women who are missing in the United States and Canada. And we are the only country who do not, that does not keep stats. Um, they are the only group in this country that we do not keep stats on who are miss, who are murdered and missing, and that is Indigenous women. Um, and um, if you haven't seen the film Wind River... I was need, just going to mention that movie, yes. Yes, you need to see this film. Um, and, you know, I, I want to shed light on, a, on an ally in, in Taylor um, Sheridan for being such an ally um, to the Native community and helping to shed light on what's happening um, with the murdered and missing women because it's an epidemic all across Canada and the United States. Um, and I also want to shed light on the fact that women are trying to empower each other. Like um, I love Reese Witherspoon and what she's doing with her company and bringing, helping to bring stories forward of, of black women. Um, if you haven't seen little uh, fires everywhere, watch it. <laughs> yeah. um, seriously sit down and watch that show. Um, it brings racism um, into a light that is rarely shown. And I think it's a really powerful, um, proof of that. And so, you know, I, 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 we're talking about such a heavy subject and I think it's important to shed a light on those people who are trying to, to do good. Um, 
but you know, a Toronto story and, and what she she did um, is really, I hope we hope uh, will continue to change the culture. Um, that we we have to change it. You know, bottom line is we have to believe people's stories um, first. And I, I really like what Eli said earlier about that too. You know, we have to to believe people's stories first, and then if something comes out that it wasn't true, we just that's it, it's very rare you know so i think believing the story first um is important so yeah and thank you for mentioning that and mentioning wind river because that was a movie that and yes it stars jeremy renner and i know i've mentioned jeremy renner already but yes. put that aside put that aside because <laughs> it it really is a, a really a really good movie um it has one of the most painful rape scenes I've ever seen on film. So, and I mean, I would say right up there with the accused as far as like how painful it is to watch that scene, but it's a really, really good movie. And yes, that is unfortunately another group that we don't focus on at all. I mean, we, I mean, the country as a whole doesn't for many, 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 many other areas as well. So yeah, I do. I do recommend that filmmaker is an incredible filmmaker anyway. So yeah, the show Yellowstone is actually amazing if you haven't watched it. It may not be um, the genre that you know some of your listeners are into, but um, give it a shot. Yellowstone is an amazing look at cowboy culture, and it's kind of a modern um, <sighs> cowboys and Indians. Really, I mean, it's a modern look at what's happening with reservations and what's happening with the ranching communities, and kind of the fight for land and power. Um, and it's it's a little dynasty esque, if you will. It's kind of a throwback to that kind of drama, um, but it's also highlighting um, problems um, in ad- in indigenous culture as well as you know the loss of traditional culture and, and the cowboy culture as well. So, and it, it's beautifully shot, beautifully shot. But he's an amazing filmmaker. So mm-hmm. if anybody hasn't seen it, check it out. Yeah, and his other movies as well are really really good too. Um, and then Eli. Um, R. Kelly to me is a, uh, it's, it's just disturbing on a whole different level. Um, it's kind of the, the classic cult case of grooming and being a serial pedophile. And, um, the, and why I kind of call it a cult is because of his, his loyal and his fan base is ridiculous. Um, knowing his past and, and I mean, knowing what he's done, knowing what he's been accused of, knowing what he's been charged with, they still stand by his side. And mm-hmm. that's where that kind of cult behavior comes in and, and how adept that he was and is at grooming people. Um, and people still that he's, he's, that he raped and that he, that he abused, um, still support him. And that to me just is a whole different level than shows you um, and shows you how well these folks are brainwashed. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's just a very interesting case study to me. And just to watch that and to see, I mean, we we see it a lot. We just talked about Michael Jackson, um, how I still follow Michael Jackson, kind of not wanting to really admit um, what we all know is true. Um, but with R. Kelly, it's just that kind of next level stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pasha? Um, well, I mean, one thing I would like to touch on that goes kind of hand in hand with Me Too 
is the way that rape culture is still being um, um, portrayed and, and just honestly sometimes even pushed in a lot of our fandoms and our mediums. Um, you know, uh, the objectification of women in general, it just, and, and I mean objectification in that it makes women objects and it dehumanizes women and it makes people feel like it's okay to do things involving sexual assault. And you mentioned um, J.K. Rowling's and you're like, how does J.K. Rowling's fit in with the Me Too movement? Well, she is very anti-trans and her fan base, unfortunately, some of them adhere to those beliefs because, you know, and they support that. And the statistics around sexual assault of trans, especially female to male, are astronomical. Um, we all of us here have a mutual friend whose uh, son uh, just went to college and, you know, had to have a very uncomfortable conversation about how they're at higher risk because they're trans. And when people who have such an overwhelm, I mean, I have a Harry Potter tattoo on my hand, you know? <laughs> and, and so for JK Rowling to, to come out and say these horrible things just objectifies these people and makes them objects and things to be used instead of people to care about. Uh, Eli loves Winona Earp. And yet even he admitted that this entire season we have not yet. And like he said, we're one episode behind, but we have not seen one single episode where there was a, not a really kind of sensation, sensationalized kind of male fantasy esque sex scene between the lesbian couple. And we're just like, we don't see that with the other couples. We don't see that with the gay men on the show. It, just seems very uh, pandering uh, to just kind of have these sexy lesbians have this sex scene in every single episode, which kind of removes the humanity from these kinds of relationships. And I, I don't know, I think that rape culture kind of goes hand in hand with the Me Too movement, because as long as we're still making shows about where, where this stuff is all still okay and where almost everything is still directed by men, written by men. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. But, you know, just to take a step back to what you were talking about, minority women, are we going to talk about that specifically separately or? So that's what we're, that's what we were going to be. Okay. That's what we're talking about right yeah. now. <laughs> That's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I felt myself moving away from that. I wanted that's to refocus. Okay. No, that's okay. It was good. It was good information too. Cause it's, yeah. Um, also black trans women are, you know. Yeah. 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 Well, to be totally honest, black trans sex workers yeah. <laughs> specifically, but um, also uh, because even if you're a sex worker, that does not make rape. Okay. But um, anyway, one of my favorite scenes ever and i and i talked to eli about it i haven't subjected him to it that yet i said it's it's one of the most intense well-acted scenes i've seen in movies in tv in anything ever 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 was in how to get away with murder when viola davis talks to her mom cicely tyson about having been molested by her uncle and 
her mother says, you know, she's like sobbing, crying. And, and, and she's, she was lauded for like taking off her wig and taking off her eyelashes and being quote unquote ugly, meaning naturally a black woman (laughs) in the scene, but she's like, snot crying. Like it's intense. And that having, and then, and then the mother says, you know, I told you men take things. And it was not just an ethnic, a racial divide, uh, but it was also a generational divide. She says, this is something that happens and we take care of it in our own way. And, and, and she told a story about, you know, but, but that having been said, you don't see a lot of these scenes as played by black women or other women in TV or movies in general. And then it, it, I think that translates to real life. I think that somehow black actors uh, are slated as less than and their experiences are not as acknowledged. And so as a result, Cicely Tyson as a mother is just like, this is what freaking happens. You know, it sucks, but you deal with it. And that may or may not be the right response, of course. I mean, honestly, once you get to so much getting beaten down so much, after a while, you just kind of get numb to it. And you're like, that's the way it is. And that's not okay. And that's something we need to change. And that's something some amazing people are changing. But the Black experience in general has kind of been that way, not just in the Me Too movement, but across the board, obviously. And I have to say, as an Asian woman and the Me Too movement, characters in TV and and movies definitely objectify Asian women a lot sexually. And they're oftentimes the rape victims and they're oftentimes the prostitutes in war movies. And I have had, uh, and, and fetishize us. And that also is a type of dehumanization. And so we need to make women of color human mm-hmm. in our media and in real life and listen to what they have to say and give them space to freaking say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. I'm very passionate exactly. about that. No, you, do, <laughs> do, you do not have to apologize. That's yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And, and with the R Kelly thing, um, what a lot of his victims said and really gives proof, proof to that. And a lot of it goes into what you, what you're saying, Pasha, about seeing women of color as being human, seeing black women as being human, seeing Asian women as being human, that, you know, humanizing people, because I think what a lot of R. Kelly's victims said is that what R. Kelly did is he knew because we were black women that he could get away with this. And that's sad, but true i think um yeah and you know that's that's that was that's the thing is that you know he got away with it for so so long disgusting stuff and he still is and it's it's just so heartbreaking and sad and then russell simmons of course i mean Mm -hmm. the stuff russell simmons did as well um is also disgusting but he also mainly targeted black women and you know mm-hmm. it goes into that thing of thinking well this is 
who I can target because I will probably get away with it because people don't care or act like they don't care about black women. And it's true, the Me Too movement didn't get as much attention until it was white women coming forward, until it was Rose McGowan, until it was, you know, that's when it really, really took off, until it was Harvey Weinstein being accused by by black women. And then when you would have women of color coming forward accusing Harvey Weinstein, that didn't get the same attention. You know, you even saw it within that same thing, you know. So it's it's it is something that I think we need to acknowledge. I think that... Me as a white woman, I have to acknowledge it, and all my fellow white women have to acknowledge it too, that we have to include everyone in this. Um, you know, it has to be an inclusive movement, or you can't really make change if you're going to be like, okay, I'll pick and choose who I'm going to listen to and who I'm going to give a voice to. So I think I think that's that's the really important thing too. So, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and just the fact that the founder of the Me Too movement – Ronna Burke was left off that time cover yeah. was so shocking to me. I actually, with my limited Photoshop skills, Photoshopped her in front of everybody and I posted it and I was and it titled it fixed it because <laughs> I, yeah, it was mm-hmm. mind blowing to me that she was left off that time cover. And that's just sure. indicative of the black experience and certainly of black people within the Me Too movement. Yeah, absolutely. It was shameful that she was left off that cover. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot we could definitely <laughs> cover in this. I mean, a lot because, um, you know, we definitely will – we're going to be talking um, next year. We're going to be talking about pornography in general and women's relationship to it. Um and definitely will want to touch a little bit on this because I know, you know, recently, um, you know, a lot of women who work in pornography have accused other people of raping them and have been raped and people just brush it off because they're like, oh, well, you work in that industry. So it's just part of it. You weren't really raped. I mean, come on, you, you're a sex yeah. worker. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And we need to change that attitude. I mean, you, I mean, that's just something that really, really, really is another thing that we need to work on too. I mean, that comes with feminism too, is that feminism often leaves off people, women that work in the sex industry. I mean, they just do because a lot of feminists look down on that. Um, and like I said, we have to include everybody. So, yeah. So we definitely will talk about that when we cover that very, very that will be a very adult episode. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, and this is only if people are comfortable with it. You can totally say pass. If you don't want to share anything, you can share a little bit. Um, I know, Danelle, you already sort of did. So if you are comfortable with it, you can share your own Me Too movement. But, I mean, moment, sorry. But only if you are comfortable with it. If not, totally feel free to say pass. Sure. Thank you, Anne. Um, yeah, I... I think the most I'll say about it is that I know almost every woman I know has a story, whether, you know, no matter what their story, they have some connection to it. Um, I've had some experience um, and I've had several. Um, I will say that. And it led me to being involved with the V-Day movement, which is um, an incredible movement to end violence against women and girls. Um, and it started by Eve Ensler and her 
um, play, the Vagina Monologues, that's being, that's um, performed every year um, around Valentine's Day all over the world. Um, and we raise money for various, very lo various local causes all over the world, um, whether it's the um, local rape crisis center or a women's shelter. And so I've been involved with that for over 10 years now. Um, and so I love performing in the show, um, love raising money and awareness. Um, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be involved. And, you know, and until the violence stops, you know, that's why we keep doing it. So um, there is a great documentary. It's several years old called Until the Violence Stops. So if you get a chance to check that out, um, it talks and, and highlights different women's stories. And one of the things I love about the movement, it tries to be very inclusive to all stories, um, no matter, you know, of all different backgrounds, whether it's um, gay, lesbian, transgendered, you know, whether it's Black, Asian, Hispanic, and Native American, whatever, it's trying to include everybody's stories. Um, so I think that's important too, like you said, just bringing all of it together um, and and one movement <laughs> um, to end. So um, with that being said, um, you know, I, I encourage people to get involved, you know, um, reach out to local organizations. Pasha has an amazing organization um, and they're doing, her and Eli are doing amazing work. Get involved with your local V-Day group, um, you know, whatever you can, volunteer, um, make phone calls, reach out, <laughs> get trained as a victim advocate. Um, there's all kinds of ways you can get involved, so. Thank you, Janelle. Eli? Yeah, so um, never shared my story before with anybody except uh, besides Pasha. Um, and I don't think I would have this, the strength to even begin to say it out loud if it for Terry Crews. Um, and his when he first came out and, and talked about it a little bit, um, I was uh, drugged and raped um, a few years back, and I like like many people, I think, still hold a lot of not only shame but guilt um, for what went on with that, um, and that's something that that I will continue to work through for the rest of my life um, and continue to address. Um, but um, it does happen. Um, and it, it's not just um, little five foot, 605 pound boys that get raped. Um, uh, it doesn't matter how strong you are, how big you are, how, how tough you are. Um, if you find yourself in, in my case, I, um, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances, but I put myself in a spot that I shouldn't have. Um, does that mean that I deserve what happened to me? Absolutely not. Um, but I will always hold on a little bit that I still work with constantly um, as to this was not my fault. It's something that happened to me, not something that I contributed to. Um, so it, uh, I will fully acknowledge that I am in the, the minuscule uh, percentile um, that women deal with this on a, on a scale that I can't even fathom. Um, I, I, I guess I knew, um, that, that women were being assaulted and abused at the rate they were. I just didn't choose to acknowledge it. Um, we just, it was, you know, um, 
this was way back and way back before me too. And, and back before anybody talked about these things. Um, and it was just tough. Um, so it's something that I work with daily. Um, but, um, it happens. Thank you so much, Eli. I really appreciate you sharing that and sharing your story. I really do appreciate that. I know that takes a lot of courage. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Pasha. Well, first of all, I want to say Eli is probably the bravest man I've ever met for so many different reasons. And part of that is we've talked about sometimes you have to, even if it's uncomfortable, be a voice for people who can't speak for themselves. And I'm so proud to know Eli at all. And uh, he's a very courageous person um, for talking about this. Um, So it kind of reminds me of Eli and I speak a lot at sci-fi conventions and, and different fandom conventions. And one of the things we, one of the panels we host actually last panel I hope that I uh, did at before COVID was at New York City Comic Con and it was cons cosplay and consent and I think it's important that we have these conversations so that we know what is and is not where those lines are because some people don't realize oh my gosh that's that's inappropriate I didn't even think about that and and so you know it's something that we need to be talking about and, um, you know, kind of bring out the closet. I myself am a survivor of child sex abuse as part of the reason, like at the top of the, of the podcast, when I was talking about the QAnon conspiracies, God, that I'm not, I'm just pissed off about it because it minimizes what real victims go through. and. The way we can stop a lot of the perpetrators and a lot of these experiences that men and women, boys and girls, trans, everyone has is by calling people out. It happens in our own families. Everybody knows that creepy relative that at Thanksgiving and Christmas, don't let your kids go sit in their lap or whatever. Encourage kids. If they don't want to give you a hug and a kiss, Say, great, good for you for not giving me a hug and a kiss because you didn't want to. Don't force your kids to hug and kiss grandma or your boss or whomever just because it reflects poorly on you, you think, if your kids don't accept this physical contact. Um, It's just, and also my personal story, I do not remember physically being a virgin in my entire life. The abuse started as far as I remember is when I was three years old, right after we moved to the United States. And so I do not even physically remember not being a virgin. I remember being in kindergarten and kneeling by my bed and praying to God because I didn't understand not to make me pregnant. And Later, so many people go through the same experience of rape seems so black and white. Not always so. When I was a sex worker and owned my 
independence and owned my body and my sexuality and did what I wanted to do and did what I didn't want and didn't do what I didn't want to do. Yet there were times that I would leave an appointment in tears and feeling all this and, and people feel all this, or even after a date, you, you drive away and you're just like going through all this ugly feelings of, 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 a, of a sexual assault of having been raped after a sexual encounter, but you drove yourself there. You flattered the person. And yet it's not something that you knew deep down that you wanted to do, but that's where you get into this kind of gray area. It's very complex, but own your feelings, trust your feelings, please reach out to a support network. Um, shoot, reach out to me, give me a private message. <laughs> But um, I think it's important that we acknowledge what happens after, like I said, I was a sex worker and I testified against CU in the football rape scandal. And uh, that's another case where it was a he said, she said kind of thing. But I came forward as a witness against the CU football program because they, I, at the time, I, <laughs> boy, this is a lot. Uh, I was a madam. And we had sent sex workers over to see young men who were not being told that they were getting paid. So they would open their hotel room door. Sometimes this is their first trip away from their family and there would be a girl there wanting to fool around. And then later at a party with alcohol and football, other older football players kind of egging them on, they allegedly gang raped two women. And on a, at an AFCON, after a off-campus party and I testified against you and said, yeah, we sent, you know, sex workers there a lot. And it might have made those boundaries a little fuzzy for these young men. And it created a whole culture around that. But after that was over with, I was to say I was shunned publicly <laughs> would be talk about cancel culture. Um, I lost my job. I lost my, house I lost my car I lost everything my straight job everything and so my attorney said why don't you call this guy he is the he's a Hollywood agent his clients they weren't major stars it was like Michael Landon Jr. and these guys and so I called this guy to see if they could connect me with a book agent or something like that and the guy wanted to have phone sex with me over the phone. And I did it because I honestly, that was kind of the deal. If I wanted to speak with anyone in the entertainment industry, I had to kind of go through this guy who wanted phone sex. So I did. And I finally shook myself and, you know, was like, this is not worth any of it. And so uh, there's just a lot that happens to so many people and sharing our stories is the only way to stop it. I think outing these people, these perpetrators and calling them out and saying, this is this, who th this is who this was. This is what they did to me. And believing when other people come forward is essential. And that's the way we try and do what we can in our own little tiny heroic way. <laughs> Thank you.
so much, Basha. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, I'm sorry that, I mean, I know that doesn't really necessarily help, but I'm really sorry that um, you went through that pain. And I'm sorry that so many people do. And thank you very much. I really, really appreciate you sharing that. So I'm sure someone out there that will listen, your, your story will help them. And I'm sure it's already helped a lot of people before, but I just want to thank you. So thank you for sharing that. Um, my story is not nearly as intense as, as, as others probably are, but, um, I, (laughs) I know I'm just saying that, you know, um, I, when I, in 2011, I decided, or 2010, sorry, I decided to go back to film, to go back to school and to go to film school because film had always been my passion. And I initially, initially started out doing, um, directing and writing path. And I learned really quickly. I didn't like directing. Um, and what I learned because I starred in some student films is what I really missed was acting because I had acting was my number one passion since I was a little kid. I would put on plays in the neighborhood. It was just something I loved and why I always kind of felt ostracized in a lot of theater groups, even though I helped run a theater group, um, didn't get credit for it, but I helped run it. Um, I still felt kind of ostracized there because I'm not big and loud and theatrical as some people in theater are, but not everybody is, but some people are. And also because I loved film more. Um, And anyway, I decided I would switch paths and go and pursue acting. And the, um, the spring semester in 2011 was one of the happiest times of my life ever. And I was acting a lot and I was writing too, because screenwriting is my other favorite thing. And I started a screenwriting club at this film school, all this stuff. Um, I had teachers telling other people when I wasn't even there that I could make it as an actress, that I was that talented. And then people would tell me later that they heard that. Um, And so when you hear it third hand like that, that actually means more than when they're saying it face to face, honestly, because, you know, they don't have to tell the truth there. Um, and anyway, um, so during my fall semester in 2011, I was still on the acting and screenwriting track. And what this film school does is they have, um, the actors re- work with the directors that are in their, you know, final semester. Cause it was actually the, the, or the third semester, sorry. Um, and do intensive work where you would be in scenes from other movies. Like we did a scene from, um, less than zero and a, a couple of other great scenes And the final project is you do a few scenes that end up, you get, you watch them on a big screen. Um, Some of them might be entered into the student show and I'm not going to name the movie that the scene was from, but um, I got picked to be in this scene with this director that a lot of actresses already had issues with um, where he would say very sexually inappropriate things um, very much sexual harassment from the get-go, especially with one of my really close friends. So people were already uncomfortable with it. So it was already, it was this great scene. See, this, this was the hardest part about it was it was this character and this scene that 
was you that any actress dreams of it was you know an intense scene where it would have been like you're you're dealing with someone who basically um you know is in a way your pimp in this scene um kind of not but kind of that way and but it was just this great great meaty meaty dialogue which i will say no offense to people in film school but in film school as an actress you don't necessarily get a lot of really meaty parts (laughs) um because it's a lot about show and trying to be all weird um so it was great to get this but I had to deal with this director and right out from the start, it was uncomfortable because when you're in student films, it's a little bit different. You're supposed to be following a different kind of code than maybe you would in like the quote unquote real world. And right away, the director was like, well, I want to tell you what bra to wear, which isn't really relevant to the character. Although, I mean, she did have to wear, I mean, I wore a short, short skirt, skin tight, skin tight shirt, which fit with the character. Um, And so he said that right away. And he also wanted someone who was outside of the school to be in this production, which is not okay either. Some guy who was like a, a bouncer at some club. And I did bring this up to the acting teacher and she said, yeah, that's not okay, but kept going but I told him he has to have somebody from class be in it so that made me feel better but we even had moments where he we had a meeting in a hotel not in the hotel room but in a hotel and it was this whole thing where it felt very set up to to kind of try and show me that he's this impressive guy and he can get things done and he spent the whole time telling me about a script he had about um strippers and how he really wanted me and this other girl especially this other girl to be in it and to star in it and it was just the weirdest experience you know and it was one of those things where I called my friend the friend he was talking about and told her where I was going what time I was going because I felt uncomfortable from the get-go and a bunch of other things he did and when I showed up the first day to film this scene he um my scene partner said I got to tell you something because he knew I had problems with the guy too. He said, he's added a sex scene to this scene and it didn't fit. It was not in the original script. And I was like, okay. And, you know, and I showed up in this very tight, tight, tight outfit that, you know, I normally wouldn't have worn at school necessarily. And, um, Right before the director himself told me about this, he saw what I was wearing and his first thing was, why do you keep everything hidden when you're at school? So it was very much already doing some more little little bits there. He did a thing where, um, you know, when they ordered lunch, he's like, well, we'll," I'm like, well, it'll be hard for me to eat fried chicken was what he was going to order was chicken. And I'm like, that'll be really hard for me to eat with this makeup on because you know, I don't want to mess the makeup up, uh, makeup. And he's like, well, we'll just order you a salad. Turned out he just ordered all the chicken and said, well, you don't need to eat anyway. Um, so little things like that. And he talked about the sex scene and he said, well, don't worry. There won't, most of these people won't be there. It'll be just me. And there was one female that was working on the crew. So we ran over, we didn't get to the sex scene. That day, and then we had to shoot the next day. And the next day, uh, we had to shoot this scene where my scene partner throws me to the ground, physically throws me to the ground. And we kept shooting this, 
and he kept physically throwing me to the ground and it was very very emotionally draining it was like over and over and over again and there were all these people there that i had never met um watching this and right after this scene is when we were going to have the sex scene um and so did it over and over again and i said to my scene partner i don't think he realizes how hard this is on me and we kept doing it and then i just kind of broke down and cried because there was this emotional sexual nature to it that i I still can't quite explain there's more stuff that happened and i started crying and somebody Mm -hmm. on the crew and i don't know who it was said she's really upset we should stop she's really upset and instead the director said no let's film this this is great so he got the camera got right up in my face and told my scene partner to keep yelling at me to take my effing clothes off and yelled it over and over again and i know what he really wanted me to do was to take my clothes off and i refused i sat there just numb and i couldn't believe that he wasn't i was just sobbing and the one woman that was there during this got up and left so it's just me and all these guys guys i didn't know he had promised it wouldn't be like that that they would only be him and one other per and the other woman and i finally just got up ran out of the room ran upstairs and i knew i still had to shoot the scene after the sex scene because we ended up not shooting the scene the way he was going to thank god but i needed to go down there and just a sheet and be filmed in afterglow or whatever when really that wasn't what was going to happen and i remember going upstairs and just saying okay you can make it through this one scene and you'll be fine and then you can get out of here and i walked down the stairs and there was the director and he said are you okay and i'm like no i'm not okay and you know why i'm not okay and he just laughed and said, but you're doing so great. And I'm like, I'm not acting, so whatever. And so then I just sat there. We did the last scene. Other stuff happened, but I pretty much left my body. I just completely left my body and went, okay, I'm just going to go through this and just have it be over. And then when it was over, I ran out. The actor who was my scene partner who really should have done something and didn't so i was really mad at him too he tried to give me a hug and apologize and i just left and i immediately called my friend the one one of the other ones that he had been talking about told her and then i called the acting teacher and the reason i told her is i knew that he would do something worse I knew it would get worse and worse and worse and I wanted to come forward and she was super supportive. Everybody was so supportive in those first few days. It was like this wall of love around me and everybody had me and had my back and everybody's like, you know, the acting teacher, she was like, you are going to make history here. You know, people never stand up and you're, you're making a change here and this is great. Two days later, I pull up the day that they're going to be showing the films and I find out from the acting teacher, she pulls me aside and she's like, just to let you know, they haven't talked to him yet. So he's here. He thinks he's going to be showing the short with you in it. And he doesn't know what happened. And that was like a big slap in the face. Cause then I had to see him and um, my scene partner kept trying to talk to me and my scene partner was just upset that he might not get credit for being in this movie. And, it was just, it, it, it was horrible because it was like, okay, we care about you, but we're going to blindside you with this. 
um, I ended up not finishing school. I didn't finish film school. Um, I had a lot of friends that were there for me and then they just got tired of me being upset all the time and not wanting to go out and have fun anymore. Um, I had a male classmate tell me, well, what you experienced is just the tip of the iceberg and you either get thicker skin or you get out of it because this is just part of the business. And that is really the attitude people have. Um, I went into the supposedly student person who was supposed to help me through the the um, bigger school, which I'm not going to name the schools on here just because for my own protection. And I walked in there thinking, okay, I'm going to tell my report to this woman. She's going to be on my side. Boom. First thing she said was, so were you sexually assaulted as a child? Were you sexually molested? I, I said, no. And she said, are you sure? No. Are you sure? Are you positive you weren't? Because the people that were on set here think this brought something out and that you were, and I'm like, no, I wasn't. And she was immediately on the defensive and really all she was looking out for was the school. She didn't care about me. And I just immediately shut down and got angry and pissed. And she said, you know, I saw the video because this is still out there. This tape is still out there. She said, all I saw was really good acting. And I said, well, I wasn't acting, but, and so that was it. It was over. Nothing happened to him. Um, he still got to go to a class that another class that we had together. I stopped going to that class because I didn't want to have to be with him. Um, I, you know, like I said, I lost a lot of friends. I stopped acting really, um, I acted a couple of times after that, but I pretty much stopped because I didn't ever want to experience that again. Um, I had never really experienced that feeling of feeling like you didn't want to be attractive. And I remember the day after that happened, going home, putting on sweats, a baggy, baggy shirt, and ordering a pizza, buffalo wings, all this just ton of food and just being like, I'm just going to be invisible from now on. And I still think about it. I still feel this guilt of coming forward. I still get angry that I came forward because I feel like maybe if I hadn't come forward, I would be in a different place in my life. Maybe I wouldn't have given this up. Maybe this and that. Maybe it wouldn't have been so horrible. Maybe I, I could have just made what happened to me wasn't that bad. I could have just swept it under the rug. And so that's, you know, that's been the hard thing. The, the thing that brings me out of that sometimes is I had to write a victim statement and I'll Sometimes I still have it and I've read it again. And when I read that, then I kind of go, okay, no, this was like, he did a lot of stuff leading up to this, a lot of kind of grooming and did this to a lot of other people, you know, and it was hard because, you know, my, um, people, some other people close to me got upset because of other people that had had instances with him didn't come forward and say anything. I understood why they didn't but it can feel very lonely. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, that's my story. And that's why I sadly don't act anymore. And someday I should maybe try and go back to it again. But so, okay. Thank you for sharing your story. Aaron. Yeah. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for being on here. Um, I know this is a heavy, heavy one. So I really appreciate everybody taking the time. Um, 
and sharing stories and sharing your thoughts and feelings. Um, because like you said, Pasha, we talk about it and that's how we start to heal and start to make a change. So thank you. Okay. Well, we're going to close out and have everybody say where they can be found. If you want to be found, start with you, Janelle. Um, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Draven Pearl. So feel free to add me and follow me there. Awesome. Thank you. And Eli? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Kilted Patroller, or of course, Parasol Patrol on all the socials. Thank you. And Pasha? Uh, well, I haven't been Facebooking as much as I used to. I used to be a total crackbook addict. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, social media, Facebook, whatever. Um, but, you know, the easiest way to reach me is to go through Parasol Patrol. And, you know, volunteer or donate or something along the way. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Thank you. Involved. Yes. And, and I will be putting a link, as always, to Parasol Patrol in the, in the notes. Thank, so thank you. you. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. Um, if you have any feedback, any show notes, feel free to email us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And also, please rate and review us um, on Apple Podcasts. Um, that really helps us get found in that search button. Our audience has grown a lot in the past couple of weeks. So thank you so much to any new listeners or to people who are sharing the show. I really appreciate it. And on next week's show, we are going to be taking a little bit of a lighter turn. We're going to first do a special episode discussing some of our favorite actors, actresses, writers, directors, people that might not be covered um, in an individual episode just to kind of give lesser known people um, or people that might not have the biggest fandom around them um, a little bit of a shout out. So that'll be a fun little episode. And then we are going to be discussing the television show Xena and we're going to be having the founder of the Xena retreat on the show as well. So that should be a lot of fun. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing and black lives matter. Mm -hmm.